0: Hi everyone and welcome to My Millennial Money Professional. My name is Dev Raga and I'm your host. And in this episode, we will discuss the concept of bonds. Now I've discussed bonds in episode 202 and episode 53, if you're interested, but we will revisit many of the same concepts in this episode for the new listeners. Cause I find that the new listeners are a little bit reluctant to Scroll down and have a look at some of the older episodes. And I don't blame them. You know, when I subscribe to a new podcast channel, I don't listen to every single episode that's ever been released in the past. So I think sometimes revisiting the basics and going through the concepts again is really useful. Now, remember, this episode will not cover investment bonds, or also called insurance bonds. That's slightly different. These are very, very different concepts. And I've covered insurance bonds or investment bonds in episode 87 for those of you that are interested. Let's get started. If you want me to discuss a specific topic, or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. And for those of you that are new to the channel, remember the three main aims, education, empowerment, and entertainment. So what is a bond? And what are some of the characteristics of bonds? Basically, when you buy a bond, you're buying a fixed income investment. And here's how it works. Sometimes, Governments, like state or federal or even local governments, or companies or private corporations need extra money to operate their business or expand their business. And sometimes governments might need extra money to fund key infrastructure projects or just pay the debts and bills. So they want to borrow money from you, the investor, the individual. So you can decide to lend money to them, and in exchange, they agree to pay you an interest rate on that money lent. So they issue a bond certificate for the money you've lent them with all the details within it. Now, one of the details in it, and we'll discuss all the details very shortly, is called bond maturity, where it says after a set period of time, the bond issuer will repay the money back to you, the lender. But along the way, the lender would have collected interest rate payments. So essentially, bonds are issued as another way of raising revenue, whether it is by governments or corporations or raising capital. This is the high-level overview of bonds, but we need to dig a little deeper. The bond market as a whole is almost twice as big as the stock market globally, but we end up talking a lot more about the stock market online and in the media, mainly because the returns are a bit more fascinating and less boring. Now, there's a few bond terminologies that we all need to understand. Number one is, what is maturity? This is a length of time a bond is given. The maturity date is when the person issuing the bond has to repay the owner of the bond the original amount which was lent out to them. For the purposes of this episode, the money lent out is by the investor and the money accepted by the bond is the issuer. So when the investor gets their original money back, it's called the maturity date. In the bond world, there are three timeframes that you need to be understanding. Number one is short-term, which is one to three years. Number two is medium-term bonds, which is four to ten years. And long-term is greater than 10 years in terms of time frames. The second principle or terminology that you need to understand is face value. This is the amount of money which is paid out at maturity date. This is often the price you pay for buying a bond. And the other name for this is par value, P-A-R-value. The third terminology is what is a coupon? This is such a bad word to use because most people associate coupons with a discounted deal when it comes to shopping and retail products. But in bond terminology, this is the interest rate offered by the bond issuer to the bond investor. So if the coupon rate is 5% per annum and the bond is $5,000, then it means the issuer will pay an interest rate of 5% per annum, which is around $50 until the bond matures. Whatever that maturity rate might be or maturity date, dare I say. The fourth terminology is the bond yield. Now, I've done a detailed episode on distributions and dividends where we talk about yield as a concept. When it comes to bonds, a yield is rate of return on a bond. This is not the same as a coupon, which is a fixed rate. The yield is often variable and they're based on the bond's price at the market value. This is called the secondary market. There are three types of yields, current yield, yield to maturity, and yield to call. We'll discuss these in more detail a bit later in the episode. The fifth terminology is the bond price. Just like ETFs or stocks, bonds can be traded in the secondary market as well after you buy them in the primary market. The bond price is this market price in the secondary market. There are two prices for bonds, the bid price and there's the ask price. Now, I've done a detailed episode on this called the bid ask spread in episode 214 if you're really interested. Now, basically, a bid price is the highest amount a buyer is willing to pay for an item. The ask price is the lowest amount a seller is willing to sell the item. The spread is the difference. You can imagine if the bid ask spread is a wide gap, then liquidity, i.e. how quickly an asset can be turned over, is low. If the bid ask spread is a narrow gap, then the liquidity of that asset is said to be high. That is, more completed transactions are much more likely. Sometimes the term offer is used instead of the ask price, but it means the same thing. So those are the main things about the terminologies. Now, the other thing you need to understand is a bond rating. What does that mean? Whenever there is an investment product, there is a ratings agency. A bond rating is what is assigned to a bond by the ratings agency. It just means how credit worthy they are. So, a dodgy company issuing a bond may have a bad credit worthiness, which means a bad rating, which means investors may shy away from them, but as a result, their coupon rate, which is a higher, due to the high level of risk that investors have to take. Now, usually, good companies and well-known governments have a high rating. This is when you hear things like in the media, Australia has a AAA rating for investment, which is a good rating. Anything below a BBB rating is bad. Now, maybe I need to do an episode on ratings and I'll probably will and how they work. Now, what is bond callability? Now, some bonds have the option for the issuer to pay back the face value earlier before the bond matures. If this happens, usually there is a premium assigned to it, kind of like a penalty because investors tend to miss out on the coupon payments for the remaining months or years that they would have missed out on. A callable bond means it can be paid out earlier. Some bonds are callable, while others are not. And what is duration risk? This is a measure of how a bond's price may fluctuate based on other factors like interest rates. Now, I will discuss this a bit later in the episode, but essentially bond prices can change in the secondary market, and there are a number of factors that we need to consider. I've discussed this in episode 202 in a much more detailed fashion if interested. Now, hopefully that sets the scene in terms of definitions and terminology. And in fact, most people probably only need to know these terms about bonds, but moving forward, we will get into the nitty gritty of bonds. I want to go really detailed in this episode. So what are the various types of bonds? Number one, broadly speaking, there are two types of bonds in Australia. Australian government bonds called AGBs and Australian corporate bonds, which is a separate term. Now, the important thing here is bonds can be bought and sold via an exchange or can be done over the so-called OTC markets or over-the-counter markets. Let's use an example to highlight this principle. If you went to the Australian government bond website at the time of recording this episode, you will find exchange-traded bonds. And this is a way for investors to access sovereign debt for the Australian government. That is, the Australian government issues a bond as a promise to pay you back along with coupon payments during that bond that the investor invests in. That is you. This means they are listed in the ASX transparently and you can buy them. Through that, there is a link to the ASX, which has a treasury bond listed, and you'll see all the bonds when they mature and the relevant coupon rate. For example, at the time of recording, there is a bond called GSB27. And that one says bid price of $103.43 and ask price of $109 with a coupon payment of 4.75%, which isn't too bad with maturity dates in April 2027, with the next coupon date being October 2023, which is roughly where this episode is being recorded at. Now, coupons can be either monthly or quarterly. Now, there's another one, GSBE47. This was maturing in March 2047, so ages away. The bid price is $80.10, and the ask price is $87, and the coupon rate of 3%, And the next coupon rate for this is September 2023, which is just last month. So this bond is obviously paying lower rates because it's such a long maturity date. So there are also these semi-government bonds, and this is issued by states and territories. They're usually not listed in the ASX, can only be bought and sold by the state and territory corporations. For example, in Victoria, there is a website specifically for this called the Treasury Corporation of Victoria, which has all the information. Now, the other main arm of bonds is the corporate bond sector. It's the same principle. Companies want to raise funds to finance their business activities. They don't really want to give out more shares because that means sharing their equity with the investors, so they issue bonds. They're primarily not listed via the stock exchange, and some of the major companies may be listed, but most of them aren't, and usually you buy it over the counter, which means direct from the issuer. So it's kind of like a private dealing. Now, with this comes with credit risk and may also be higher coupon rates for that risk you as an investor are taking. What are secured or unsecured bonds? Now, basically, a secured bond means the bond is backed by an asset. So if a company issues a bond and it's secured, it may be secured by the company's assets. So if the company does fold, the bond investors get some of their money back when the assets are sold off. An unsecured bond means the bond is not backed by anything. And of course, this is a higher risk. This is often called a debenture. I'll talk about it a bit later in the episode. Now, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we can discuss the risks of bonds and other topics. But hopefully, in the first half of this episode, all of you have got the basics of bonds, the terminologies, the definitions, because that's really important. And that's kind of all you need to know when it comes to bonds. But I want to go a bit more deeper. Be right back. Okay. Now, welcome back. Now, we need to talk about the risks of bonds. So what are the risks of bonds? And overall, bonds are considered to be very, very safe investments, but no investment, in my opinion, is 100% risk-free. So bonds do have some inherent risks associated with them. There are three main risks associated with bonds. Number one is interest rate risk. Number two is credit risk. And number three is prepayment risk. Now, what is interest rate risk, which is part of duration risk? Basically, bonds and interest rates, what the RBA does, have an inverse relationship. When the interest rates go up, bond values and prices go down. When the interest rates go down, bond values and prices go up. So what's happened in the last sort of 12 to 18 months as the RBA has raised interest rates, the bond values and prices are slowly going down. So the greater the maturity time, the the greater the interest rate risk. In other words, the longer the bonds that you buy, the more likely the interest rates going to fluctuate in that time and therefore the more risk you're going to take. It's best to use an example to highlight this principle. Amy is a prudent investor and is looking at Australian government bonds. She notices two bonds listed via the ASX. The government bond A is priced at $100 per unit, matures in three years and pays a coupon rate of 5%. The government bond B is priced at $50 per unit, matures in 30 years and pays a coupon rate of 3%. Which one should she choose? Now, supposing Amy chooses government bond B because it's secure and long-term return over 30 years, inflation is likely to come back to target 2%. And she's getting a 3% return on her bond, which is 1% over the inflation amount. So she feels very safe and is not too greedy. The problem is, suppose in that time, interest rates rise due to various economic cycles And we've just been through one of those inflationary and interest rate cycles where interest rates are basically gone up since 2022 and now 2023 and are probably still going through this by the time this episode is aired in the second half of 2023. So when interest rates rise, Amy's bond in the secondary market becomes less and less attractive. New bonds issued by corporations and even the government, which are shorter terms, will have higher coupon rates to attract New investors. Remember, corporations and governments can always issue new bonds, and Amy now is stuck with the older bond. So why would anyone buy Amy's bond in the secondary market with a coupon rate of only 3% if the newer short-term bonds have a higher rate because of the current economic, inflationary, and interest rate phenomenon? So Amy's bond price drops naturally as a result as investors shy away from her longer-term bond and are more attracted to more newer bonds. Likely, if the interest rate falls, this makes Amy's coupon rate more attractive and so investors may be attracted towards it more and more, which means her bond price may rise. So you can see the longer the maturity date for the bond, the higher the interest rate risk or the duration risk. In fact, this is one of the things which is currently being watched or even happening now. It's called the inverted yield curve on the U.S. Treasury bonds because as interest rates risk short-term bonds yield more than long-term bonds and investors shy away from long-term bonds. Now, I've discussed this in detail in episode 317 if anyone is interested. Now, the second risk is credit or default risk. When an investor buys a bond, the expectation is for the coupon rate to be paid on time, and also the face value of the bond is repaid at maturity rate. If you reverse the situation for retailers, when we borrow money from a bank to buy a home, the expectation is we repay the loan back, and as a security, the bank uses our home. Now, a bond works similarly, except in reverse, where the investor is you and the issuer is the government or a corporation, so the credit risk is the chance the bond issuer won't pay the coupon or the face value back. This is a problem for corporate bonds, but it can be a problem for government bonds depending on the country. It is unlikely for the Australian government to default on its federal bonds, but anything can happen. It's more likely that Corporation XYZ defaults on its bond to its investors. Now, Ecuador has declared bankruptcy, for example, ten times. It's a country. It has government bonds. And other countries like Brazil and Russia and Spain and Costa Rica have also done the same. So it's not as if that governments can't run out of money. And in fact, the US can came very close to it in June and probably going to come to it very close in October, as they can't even get a House speaker, when they reached the debt ceiling and couldn't borrow and potentially to repay any of its debts. Of course. That was saved by simply raising the debt ceiling, a two-year political drama in the US, whilst other countries have better systems to manage the crisis. So when buying corporate bonds, you will want to have a look at the company's balance sheet and making sure their operating revenue is higher than any of their debt repayments so the default risk is managed well. Now, the third types of risk is prepayment risk. This is when bond issuers want to repay the bond earlier than maturity date. This is when the bonds have a callable provision. So some issuers may want to install this safety provision for them because they don't want to be stuck paying higher coupon rates if the economy turns and the interest rates decline. The issuers don't want to be stuck paying a higher coupon rate, basically, so they pay back the bond earlier, often with a premium attached, so the investor gets their money back but have lost the future coupon payments and now left with some money which they needed to invest in lower interest rate environments, which means buying bonds at the higher prices, which reflects lower yields. So how can you buy bonds and what about bond ETFs? In Australia, we have a website called the AustralianGovernmentBonds.gov.au, which is some of the great information on how to buy government bonds. So I really recommend listeners who are interested in this to visit that website. For private corporations, you can buy them directly and some of them are listed on the ASX. Now, for the government bonds, and this is mainly for the federal bonds, you can buy them through the ASX the same way you buy shares. There are two types of exchange-traded government bonds – E-A-G-B-S. Now, this is different to ETFs, by the way. Exchange traded treasury bonds and exchange traded treasure indexed bonds. Now, personally, I find this all a bit confusing and as a lot of people would confuse this with bond ETFs, but they're not. What this means is the bonds are traded via the exchange and it's got nothing to do with index funds, which happen to carry Australian bonds. Now, if you're an institutional investor, this podcast is not for you, by the way, you would be buying bonds on a larger scale in the OTC markets, and you'll need to refer to the Australian Office of Financial Management. So does this mean that you can rock up to ASX and buy the bonds? No. Similar to buying shares, you will need a licensed broker. You can use an online broker if you wish, and I've dedicated an entire episode of where I talk about brokers and what it all means if you're interested. Now, this bit I need to clarify with an expert. So take a grain of salt. I think you will need a Chess-sponsored broker to buy Australian government bonds, federal, and you can't do it via a custodian model. But I could be completely incorrect here. So feel free to reach out to me after you listen to me talking this gibberish and let me know that I'm wrong. And this is because the Australian government bonds on ASX are cleared by ASX and settled through Chess. What's interesting about this is I checked their list of recommended brokers and some of the main ones like Perla and Self-Wealth, which retail customers use quite a lot, are not listed there. So do wonder if you need a full service online broker. I could be wrong. With any brokerage service, there are fees and charges associated with this. So remember, I've talked about this in earlier episodes. Go back and listen to it. So what about bond ETFs? Now, this is entirely different to exchange traded bonds. In this case, there is a fund which has bonds in it. And the fund is traded on the stock exchange. An exchange traded fund. Now, an index fund, which has bonds in it, it is very similar to something like VAS, for example, which has stocks in it. Now, the principle of indexing remains, especially in this case, it carries a set of bonds rather than companies or stocks at all. So this is basically passive investing for bonds. You can buy these from brokers, and I don't think you need a specific set of brokers compared to buying the bonds directly. Your trading costs need to be factored in, but the ETF management fee is actually quite low, similar to other ETFs. Now, there are a number of pros of investing in bonds via an ETF. Number one is coupon payments. You still receive your interest payments, just like if you were to buy individual bonds. So it's a great way to have a fixed income stream. Number two is diversification. You get all the benefits of being in an ETF, just like buying a share ETF, for example. You have instant diversification, so you don't need to bother visiting various brokers to buy them. And the bond ETF can be bought with retail brokers and doesn't need full service brokerage firms. Number three is can be more targeted if you wish. You can choose an ETF which is short or medium or long term or international or local bonds so it's your choice and makes it easier. Number four is nil need analysis of bonds. You don't need to bother looking at individual bonds just like if you bought ETFs which comprised companies. You don't need to bother researching individual companies which can be time consuming. Number five is they're cheaper. The ETF fund fee is often cheaper. You may notice buying individual bonds doesn't have management fees, so why are ETFs cheaper? Remember, when I used some examples of Australian government bonds before, there was the bid-ask price, and that spread is quite wide. With bond ETFs, you don't lose that money as spreads are much, much more narrower, and the spread is opportunity cost, and you can minimise that. Number six is the starting point is lower. Buying individual bonds, especially corporate bonds, you need deep pockets. Bond ETFs, on the other hand, you can start as little as $1,000 or less. And number seven, you can buy a bond index managed fund instead of an ETF. It's usually the expense ratio is a little bit higher, but you don't need a broker to do this, just like buying a managed fund comprising of the top 200 ASX companies. Those are all the pros. What are the cons? Many of the cons are similar to buying bonds anyway, like expense ratios, relatively lower returns when compared to the stock market of companies and no 100% guarantee of getting your principal back. Now, we've discussed the three main risks earlier in this episode. Now, in terms of bonds, there's the fixed rate versus the floating rate bonds. worthwhile mentioning that and learning a little bit about it. In terms of interest rates and coupon rates for bonds, there are two main ways of getting a return. The interest rate can be fixed over the period of bonds or can be floated depending on the cash rate that the RBA sets. The former is called fixed rate return. The latter is called floating rate return. You can imagine the good thing about the fixed rate is a stability, but the bad thing is if inflation rises, then it eats into your returns. The good thing about a floating rate is it's pegged to the cash rate and mostly has terms which is above that. So for example, the interest rates might be cash rate plus 2%, but if the cash rate is low, then the interest rate is also low. So it's a bit of a gamble as to anyone can predict the cash rate. What's the difference between debentures and bonds? Now, I mentioned debentures earlier in the episode, so it's worthwhile quickly to touch on the topic. Usually, they're offered by companies and not by governments. They're basically the same as bonds, especially done for shorter periods and mostly by companies. The debentures can be secured or unsecured, and I'm not sure why they have yet another separate term for something pretty much the same as bonds, but here we are. That's how finance works, it seems. Just use complex terms for no reason whatsoever or at least nothing obvious that sticks out. So a company offers a secured or unsecured debenture with one, a fixed rate of interest, two, face value for return of capital at end of maturity, and generally speaking, if it's secured, then it's secured against the company's property assets generally. Usually debentures are higher risk compared to government bonds, so with it comes potentially higher coupon rates or higher returns in the form of higher interest rates. And usually they're sold as, OTC investments, that is, over-the-counter investments, so they're not listed on the ASX, so buying and selling them is a bit more difficult and a bit more complicated, a bit more obscure. There isn't any price transparency. So that's about it for this episode. We've covered a fair bit in this episode, even though it's titled The Basics. That was a con. So let's tie everything together to answer this important question. Are bonds a good investment? They provide a stable source of income, tick, they're less risky overall, especially if dealing with government bonds. Tick. You can still access them via ETFs or index funds. Tick. But they're inversely correlated to interest rates. Maybe a tick. They have relatively lower returns than the stock market or property market. Bad. So bonds can be good bet against economic uncertainty and have the benefit of being less volatile provided you accept less returns. So they can be a good investment not as a solo investment, but perhaps as a mix in your portfolio to reduce your risk. The old adage of bonds should be 40% of your portfolio. Not sure if such rules hold true over the long term. Now, for example, in the US in 2022, if you had a 60-40 portfolio, 60 stocks and 40 bonds, you would have done far worse off with returns of negative 16%. That was in 2022. But in the 10 years up to 2021 returns would have been a positive 11%. Now, I've done an episode on asset allocation in episode 80, released in 2020 if you're interested. Because 60 is all about asset allocation. And that's about it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. And remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be using. I'll leave a five-star rating on all of the platforms. That's even better. And please leave a positive review. The more ratings and reviews you leave, the more people get access to the podcast. So please keep them coming. Now, unfortunately, ratings and reviews have dropped off in recent times, and I can't stress this enough, how important people rely on those ratings and reviews to keep the channel in the forefront of people's minds, especially new listeners who are looking for unbiased, genuine content, which is all, and I promise, no fluff. My name's Dev Raga, and this is My Millennium Money Professional, and until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast.